Let me share that precious word with you this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51, you will discover in verse 3, the psalmist is saying, and it's King David, after that he has been out with Bathsheba, after that he has been involved in sexual sin, after that he has been in a place of great depression, after that he has been in a time of tremendous remorse because of his sin, he says in verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before thee. My sin is ever before me. I want to share especially with those of you who are younger that as you involve yourself in sin now, you will remember that sin for as long as you live. It is God that says, Thy sins I will remember no more. It is God that can put a blanket on the mind. It is God that can dull the mind from remembering things. But as I have listened to elder people, I have discovered this, that many have said the sins of their youth are often things that they think about. Though they are forgiven, though they are on their way to heaven, though they know that the Lord Jesus has forgiven them their sins, yet they remember their sins. And my sins, says King David, are ever in front of me, are ever before me. I'm remembering my sins. Now Satan makes sure that we remember our sins. He likes us to remember because he can then say to us, don't you know that a real Christian wouldn't have this problem? And so we discover people wrestling with sin. Listen. Jesus tells us that he has dealt with sin once and for all. You who recognize that you have sin and have recognized that you cannot save yourself, those of you who have recognized that God sent his only begotten Son into the world in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, suffered and died for our sins that the fulfillment of Scripture might be made, that God would see the suffering of his soul and God would be satisfied. Those of you believing this, my dear friends, must remember that God has dealt with our sins once and for all and they are as far as the east is from the west. They are buried in the depths of the sea. They're beyond the place of return and God says, I will remember them no more. God has blotted them out from the book and we are now in the Lamb's book of life. Our names are written down, says the old spiritual, in glory. Now before that can take place, we must understand what sin is. We must comprehend what our sin does so that we may know with King David that our sin is ever before us and our transgressions must be acknowledged. That is, I must admit I am a sinner. It's all very well to go around saying I'm a nice person. It's all very well to agree with yourself that you're quite a swell person. But my dear friends, the Bible says this, that a person that is continuing in sin has eight distinct problems. Let me share them with you. The first is that we must understand that sin, defined as disobedience, is first and foremost a wrath bringer. 
It brings the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Look at Ephesians 5, 6, and you will see it. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. It is a wrath bringer. And when I continue to be disobedient before God, God's wrath is to be expected upon my life. I can expect God to pour out His wrath in one way or another upon my life if I am a continually disobedient child. Now the Bible speaks it plainly. There is no gainsaying the Word of God. You cannot get around it. You can't argue under it and you can't pretend it's not there and go over the top of it. The Bible is like a large wall that blocks the way of a person and says, you will recognize that God hath said. God hath spoken. Now you may say, well, surely since Jesus came into the world, surely now we're under grace. No longer the law is in effect. Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said, I am that person that gives you the power to fulfill God's law. I am the person that gives you that spirit that longs to fulfill God's law. I am the person that gives you the life that is everlasting life that absolutely desires nothing but God's will. You see, without Christ, you do not desire God's will. Without Christ, we cannot possibly long or desire with, our deep, with the deep depths of our souls to do the things that God wants us to do. And without Christ Jesus and His power, the might of His Holy Spirit, we will continually break God's law because we are still in this flesh. The Bible tells us this. And if I am continually denying God's call to me, if I'm continually being disobedient towards God, then I must expect God's wrath to be upon me. Let's liken it to the household that you live in. Or when your children were young, if you're older, or your grandchildren sometimes come, you say, child, please, don't stamp on the tube of toothpaste. It squirts all over the wall. And the child looks at you, and puts the toothpaste on the floor, and with great vigor, leaps with two feet and splot, splash, plunge. It's all over the place. For the next month, to clean your teeth, you'll wipe the toothpaste off the wall. No longer will you have any need to squeeze or get into the argument who squeezes one end or in the middle. Now you say, child, that was very naughty of you to do that. Grandpa, grandma, mummy, daddy, we've got several tubes of toothpaste. We don't like you doing that, so don't do it again. There's a dear soul, and you put a new tube of toothpaste. And the dear soul puts the tube of toothpaste on the floor and does the same thing again. What's your reaction? Goody gumdrops, little boy pleasing himself. Isn't he having fun? That isn't my reaction. My reaction is, nasty little brat, let me fix you. They have toothpaste of various makes lining the wall. Do you ignore the child? Sooner or later, there has to be a recognition that the child is being disobedient, for you said, don't do it. Sooner or later, your wrath is going to overflow and the child is going to receive that wrath. Sooner or later. 
if such a thing happens in us who are human, argues the Lord Jesus, how much more then will it happen with your heavenly Father? If a child comes to you and says, Daddy, Mommy, would you give me some bread? Do you give him a scorpion? Do you give him a, an egg? Do you give him a stone? Of course not, argues Jesus. You give him the bread that he asked for. How much more then, says Jesus, if you come to your heavenly Father and ask of him, will he give you bread? Yea, living bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And God has dispensed Jesus liberally. Now the other side of that coin is if you continue to ignore that Jesus Christ is God's remedy for your sin, if you refuse to acknowledge that you're a sinner, if you refuse to recognize that your sin is ever before you, it is a continual roadblock in your life, if you continue to ignore that fact, then you must expect God's wrath to be poured out upon you. Look at the second thing. For the scripture tells us in the revised version of John 3.36 that if I am continually disobedient to God, I find that sin is a life robber. It robs me of life. Look at the words. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests upon him. So we must discover a man who is losing his life. Now we, somebody comes in to us and tells us that they have terminal cancer. <clears throat> and immediately our heart goes out to them. We, we talk with them. We try to comfort them. And as the illness causes their body gradually to degenerate, we, we feel great pang, pangs of, of tremendous love of all kinds of emotions towards that person. And we try our very best with flowers, with gifts, with time, with conversation, with books, with all kinds of loving expressions to bring that person into some sort of nicety before death takes its place. And we say of the illness, we say of the impediment of their life, well surely it robbed them of their lives. But my dear friend, if we continue to refuse to acknowledge that we are sinners, if we continue to refuse that God has allowed us to remember our sins so that we may be checked in sinning some more. If we refuse God's remedy for our sin, we must expect to have a terminal problem in our life. We must expect to lose our lives. Jesus says, quite simply, if you believe on me, you have life. And then he goes on and expands his, his proclamation and he says, that life you can call abundant life, massive life, colossal life, beyond imagination life, powerful life, mighty life. You can use any adjective you like, any adjectival clause, and you cannot fully explain what Jesus meant in the authorized version. It's spelled out this way, abundant life. It means, quite literally, a life that is so superabundant that it continually overflows and overflows and overflows. And King David had the idea in the 23rd Psalm when he said, my brimming cup is running over. My cup so full is brimming over the edges and running down the sides. My cup is full and running over. The Apostle Paul understood this principle when he said that we must be filled with the Spirit. Jesus understood that man had to be filled with that Spirit 
so he said, wait until you be endued with a power that is from on high. But no man has this life that I'm speaking of, that the Bible tells us of, that Jesus said was ours unless he acknowledges, I am a sinner. No man can receive that, says the word of God, until he comes to the place where he recognizes that his stubbornness to sin refuses him entrance into the life of Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's look at the third thing. If you want to know what prejudice is, understand that ignoring the Lord Jesus Christ and His great grace and His massive ability to give us gifts that far exceed our imagination, understand that it is a prejudice producer. In Acts of the Apostles, the Apostles were in Iconium, Paul especially, and in Acts 14 and verse 2, we read, but the disobedient Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected towards the brother or the brethren. It comes about that when a person is not right with God, their conversation is necessarily evil. When a person's sins are not forgiven, when a man is not rejoicing in the life that God has given, when a man doesn't have the joy of his salvation restored, but is like King David in this 51st Psalm, is still suffering because of his adulterous acts, because of his wrongdoing. Why? He has to come to the place where the psalmist says, quite simply, in the 15th verse, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. How will it happen? Am I going to sing a song? Not really. God says that with our mouth, confession is made known unto God. With our mouths, we are to confess that Christ is Lord of our lives, that we receive him as our Savior, that we follow him all the days of our lives. Then he goes on. For thou desirest not sacrifice, would you put a large offering in the offering this day? Would you give to the church a great gift? Would you have windows with your name inscribed upon them, placed in the sanctuary? Would you have large plaques put all over the chapel and the church saying what a generous person you are? Not sacrifice, says the Scripture, even though you be mighty generous. But the sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou will not despise these. See, it's very possible for you to dip deep down into your wallet, deep down into your pocket, deep down into your checking account, and give generously to the church, to anything that is of worthwhile thinking. You may be the type of person that knows how to be mighty generous to those that are down and out, those in need. God bless you. However, he cannot bless you until your sins are admitted, until your sins are acknowledged, until your sins are forgiven. Then he can bless you. For to be blessed by God means to be spiritually prosperous in a spiritual prosperity that only God can dispense. You see, you'll be prejudiced. You will say with the Jews, these are Christians. You will say with those people that are foreign to the things of God, they're fanatics. 
You will say about this preacher, this church, oh, they're fundamentalists or some such thing. You'll come up with some argument, some reason why you cannot fellowship, some reason why you cannot involve yourself in such a scripture and such massive teaching as the Word of God. You'll like something a little lukewarm, something a little diluted, and you'll become a prejudiced person. Prejudice doesn't stop with the color of our skin. It starts with the attitude of the heart. Prejudice doesn't happen because one person is gay and the other person is straight. It happens because the heart is wrong before God. I love the homosexual. I hate homosexuality. I love the thief, but I hate his stealing. I love the sinner. I hate the sin is the thing that the Scripture is teaching from Genesis through Revelation. There is no place for prejudice. Notice the fourth thing that the Scripture teaches us. Again, I use the revised version of Acts 19 and verse 9. For we discover it's a heart hardener. Now here is a subject that we could spend the rest of the day in discussion upon. Believe it, my dear friend. If you have been divorced or are living in the spirit of divorce, you've got a hard heart. Jesus was speaking quite simply when he said to, to, in Matthew's gospel to the disciples, the reason for divorce is a hard heart. Now you can come up with all sorts of excuses, but that's the reason. You may argue the point with me, but it's the reason that Jesus gave, and that's sufficient reason. If you've been involved in a divorce, you've got a hard heart. Some time or another, some way or another, the hardness of your heart will show. You cannot help it. It will show. Now some of you are saying, how dare he? Because the scripture says so. And because that's a jolly good illustration for you and I to stop and think about. You see, the illustration is a simple one. When the heart gets hardened, it becomes like a, a candy, a piece of candy that's soft in the middle, but crust hard on the outside. And it's usually the softest hearts that gain the thickest crusts because they don't want to be hurt again. Now enough rhetoric. Let's go back to Scripture. The heart hardener that we discover in, in Acts 19 and verse 9. But when some were stubborn and disbelieved, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them. Paul, the apostle, withdrew from them. Why? Because their hearts were hardened and they became stubborn. Paul is in Corinth at this time. And their hearts were stubborn. Now what does stubborn mean? It means iniquity. What does iniquity mean? It means to be stubborn. It means I enjoy my sin and I'm not going to change it for anybody, including Jesus Christ the Lord. It means I'm going to be stubbornly involved in my sinful practice and I'm not going to receive Christ and I'm not going to follow the Lord. I may say a lot of things with my mouth, but in my heart there is a hardness and I will not turn and I will not come to Christ. Some people with that attitude have become members of churches, have even been baptized, have entered into the fellowship of a congregation and the problem in the congregation is the hard-hearted. Notice in the fifth instance, this comes from Romans 10, 21. 
you will discover that disobedience, sin, causes you to ignore God. It makes you a God-ignorer. In Romans 10, 21, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. God says, I have stretched out my hands to you all day long. I have never withdrawn my hands. I have opened myself to you. I have reached out to you. All day long I've done it. But you've been ignoring me. A lady came to me one day. She said, Pastor, do you know you've been ignoring me? It wasn't in this church. I said, no, I, I didn't know that. Yes, I walked into the narthex, said she, and you turned your back and walked away. Well, I didn't remember. Then she said, you're walking up the aisle, <coughs> and I smiled, and you looked the other way. Then she said, I came to your office, and your secretary said you weren't there. And a few minutes later, I saw you walking across the car park. Now, what she'd done, she'd strung a lot of things together, and she thought I was ignoring her. Actually, I don't recall ever seeing her in the narthex. I don't recall her ever smiling, because she never did. And uh, my secretary told me later that the reason she saw me in the, coming across the car park was because I just parked. And that was logical. But she had strung all these happenings together, and I was ignoring her. You ever feel like that? Hey, nobody's listening to me. Nobody loves me anymore. This is how it happens in a family. Wife says to husband, you take me for granted. You're ignoring me. How am I doing that, says the husband in his mind. Maybe her hair's different. Well, I can't remember. What was it like last time I looked? Maybe she's got new dentures. Well, new hearing aid or something like this. And he can't remember. You take me for granted. Then he says, and this is how you girls find out about fellas who feel ignored, I don't think you love me anymore. Hmm. Here she is looking after babies, feeding him food, even if it's not nice, she feeds him food. She washes his clothes and he gets filthy dirty. She looks after the beast and all of a sudden he says, you don't love me anymore. What a gooey mess. Children do it. This is how they do it. They come home and they say to parents, Charlie Brown, my friend, his parents really love him. They take him here, they take him there, they go everywhere. Oh, and they forget that dad took them this place, that place, the other place, and so on. They walk in to mum, and they say, mum, I'm hungry. Well, there's chocolate chip cookies. Is that all you've got? Mary Jane, that I've just been visiting, her mother has piles of cakes and pies and all sorts of things. Oh, we've got chocolate chip cookies. And we start ignoring and we let the ignoring attitude come across in the families. So it causes us to have friction. We do it with God. We say, okay, God, so you love me. Okay, God, so you stretch out your hands towards me. All right, I read the scripture. I know you do these things, but God, I'm so busy. You don't understand, God. I've been here all of 20 years. And I'm so busy. I've got such a lot going on. I don't have time. 
I've lived here, Lord, 60 years, and I've become so busy, and I've got all these grandchildren, and I really don't have time. Hey, Lord, you don't understand. I've got all these recreation vehicles, and if I don't make them work, it's not worth insuring them. Lord, you don't understand. I've got hundreds, thousands of dollars in these things. I've got to use them. So forget me for a while. I'm just ignoring you on Sundays. The rest of the week I'm around. I've got to use them, Lord. All day long, says God, I've stretched out my arms towards you. I've wanted to embrace you. I've wanted to welcome you. When you were hungry, I wanted to feed you. When you were naked, I wanted to clothe you. When you were without, I wanted to make you so rich. I wanted to bless you. I wanted to hug you. I wanted you to understand that underneath and all around are everlasting arms. I wanted this to happen and you ignored me. Notice in the sixth instance is a rest destroyer. You keep up this racket with God and ignoring God and you keep on running away from God and you'll suddenly discover you cannot rest. In, in um, Hebrews 3.18, To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest but to them that believe not. So I go to the funeral parlor and I see the slumber room. Actually it means that's where the dead body lays. I go into the funeral parlor and I see people that are grieving and the, and the mortician tells me they are resting. i got great news. Anybody dies in your family, I'm going to tell you they're dead. I'm going to tell you they're not coming back to life. Their body, that, that piece of dust is going to return to dust. But the spirit, if it was born again, has already ascended up into heaven. And God would comfort you with this. And if you'll believe the same God, you'll have rest and joy and peace everlasting. The tragic thing is this, says the psalmist, I sinned, and you know my bones ached. I sinned, and you know I couldn't eat, and my muscles ached. You know, I sinned and I wouldn't acknowledge that I had sinned and I wouldn't acknowledge that I was wrong before God and my whole body was a trembling because of sin. Rest will escape the person who will not believe that Christ is the answer to his life. Notice also, will you, this attitude of mankind brings a certain punishment. In 1 Peter 4.17, for the time is come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it first begin in us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God be? God has said that he's going to deal with those that call themselves Christians first. He's going to deal with those that call themselves religious first. And if God's judgment comes here first, then what shall the end be of those that could care less at all? Oh, says the Scripture, be understanding, don't be disobedient. God says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is not grievous, it is easy. Come unto me. The Lord Jesus says, I go into my Father's house, 
and I'm going there because there are many mansions there, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself, that where you are, I where I am, there you may be also, that we will not be divided, we will not be separated. We are one in Christ. The preciousness of this is the person that has cancer, the person that is terminally ill, the person that is, is a wretched person within himself, a person that has come to the end of his rope and the end of his tether, the person that is desperate, the person that is the ordinary person in the street that has no particular direction one way or another may have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Listen to Jesus. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Why does he say known as the world gives? Because the world always negotiates peace. There is always a price to pay for peace. If you want peace in the Middle East, you have to supply different countries with airplanes that fly, with cannons that fire, with bombs that explode, with guns that, ex that fire, with equipment that will fight. There's the cost. If you want peace in your own country, you have to allow billions of dollars to be spent on all kinds of elections and all kinds of things that take place. You have to do that. That's the system. And we are in the system. Listen to Jesus. My peace I give. Not as the world gives. Not through an election. Not through threatening. Not through might. Not by power. Nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Listen to Jesus. No negotiation is necessary. How do you get peace in a family that's splintered? How do you get peace in a broken family? Peace between children and parents, parents and children. How do you get peace between parents? Not as the world gives peace. Not as we work it out in a most marvelous psychological manner. Not as the world gives peace, says Jesus. I give you peace. Some time ago, the bottom fell out of the cattle market. We were living in an area where there were lots of cattle. And there was a dear old fellow that I had rescued a couple of times up in the mountains from the mud puddles that he kept on putting himself into. He was a dear old fellow and he had some beautiful red Angus. And one day he was bemoaning the fact that he was penniless, yet he had all this cattle. And I said, you know, I'd like to own a bull. So I bought a bull. I bought him very cheap, but he grew very big. Some friend, a friend of mine had some cows, so we let them out together. We had a little baby things, and our herd was growing. A friend of mine said, "Can I borrow your your bull?" So I let him borrow my bull. And for a couple of seasons, and had lots of little red Angus running all over his ranch. The day came when I could no longer keep my bull, so I turned to my son-in-law, who also has some cattle, and I said, well, "You need a bull?" He said, "Yeah." So I got a red Angus. Give him to you. So he was excited. We eventually corralled this great beast who had now grown into a monster of a thing who liked to charge people and not with a card. And so we, we, we put him on a truck and we took him to their ranch and we turned him loose. And he had a happy little life. But last week he decided life was boring on the ranch. And so he went off. Now they saw him a couple of times as he tore down fences and jumped fences and did a lot of damage, I'm told. So my son-in-law had to find out where he was, and he couldn't find him by road, so he had to go by air and circle around. Eventually found him some 20 miles away, still going in that direction, away from home. Ah, oh, that's a good bull. 
because he's not doing what he's supposed to do, but here's a good, a good old fella. Independent fella. Ha! Seems to run in the family. Now they phoned me. They said, what, are we gonna, what do you want us to do with your bull? I said, I don't know. What do you want to do? I gave him to you. Oh, no, he's your bull. <laughs> now, I don't understand this. All the time he was tame and nice and gentle, he was their bull. Now I've got him. It's like my children, when they needed changing or they were crying, I used to turn to the, to the people who were visiting and say, this is my wife's child. When they were, smelt nice and they were easy to cuddle and they were pleasant, wow, they were mine. <clears throat> so I said, hey, I gave you the bull. Shoot him. Don't let him do any damage. Shoot him. Take him to market. Sell him. Hamburger. Whatever you want to do. He's your bull. Oh, well, we wanted to check up. I said, well, I gave him to you several years ago. He's yours. See, when you give a gift, give it. Don't mess around. Don't have strings attached. You've given something, give it. And Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Now, the last thing, and very quickly, I share with you from 1 Peter 2 and verse 18, verses 7 and 8. We discover that the person that continues in sin and goes away from God instead of coming to Christ, is a Christ stumbler, a person that stumbles all over the place. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same became the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. So now, my friend, if you're one of these people that are disobedient, one of these people that refuse to acknowledge that Christ has died for your sins, one of these people that have turned away from God, who can't be bothered, who haven't got the time, whatever the excuse, whatever the reason, my dear friend, listen to this. If you'll acknowledge your sin, if you'll recognize your plight, if you'll understand that your sin is always going to be in front of you until Christ wipes it out, until He cancels the debt, until your heart is broken, until you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the psalmist. He says, Oh God, then when I am forgiven, I'll turn sinners to the way of repentance. When I am forgiven, thou wilt return to me the joy of my salvation. Have you ever been saved? Do you know what it is to receive salvation from Christ? Hear the word of the Lord. I acknowledge my sins. My sin is ever before me. Hey, until that takes place, you won't be out of bondage and you won't be free. But when that thing, time takes place, when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you'll be able to say, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and follow thee. But can you say that now? Let's bow in prayer. Almighty God and Father, we ask that this congregation may be able to say, Lord Jesus Christ, to Thee I come. Oh, wash this congregation that we may be white as snow. Create within us a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within us. The young fellows and girls, Father, speak with them 
Speak with them very definitely and pointedly. Right now, please. Speak with those of us that are older, whose ears are a little heavy at hearing the things of God. Those of us who are deliberately deaf, who deliberately turn our backs on the Father, breathe on us, O breath of God. Fill us now with life anew, that we may love what Thou dost love and do what Thou wouldst do. Please do this. Father, speak to our souls at this point of time. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.